Heavenly Father, we love you so much for all that you've done. We praise you for this time of year that we can focus on um, your joy and your peace. And Lord, uh, we just thank you for the kids this morning. They're just great and just their reminder of what this is all about. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you would, just take your scriptures and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians 1. We're going to really focus in on verses 3 through 7 and just kind of hold that. And we're going to walk through what this means. I love the whole idea of home for the holidays, and the focus really is on home. And so for the last few weeks, we've been focusing on different elements of the home. Last week was the welcome mat and hospitality. And this week, what we're going to get into is... As you saw here, the family room, uh, the contemporary would be the living room. And uh, for a lot of folks, that is, I know for me, it's the favorite room uh, in the house. Now, uh, I did some digging, and uh, this is a little disturbing of where we got the name uh, living room. So I'm going to walk you through this. So back in the 1700s and 1800s, uh, if you had money, you would build a front room. They, they called it the front room. And the name of that room was the parlor. And so guests would come over and you'd entertain them in the parlor. Or family members for special outings might use the parlor. But it wasn't like the living room like we have today. I mean, it was kind of a, especially kids, dirty hands and all that, you don't go to the parlor. Okay, so uh, that was how it started in the 1700s. Uh, and the 1800s. Then late 1800s, this is where it gets weird. Um, there was a huge emphysema epidemic, then World War I. And so there was a lot of global death. So they renamed it the parlor to the death room. Good times. I mean, uh, imagine Thanksgiving in the death room. I mean, it just... Uh, and then after World War I in the 1920s, and we have a group of women to be thankful for, the Ladies' Home Journal put out a plea around the world to rename the front room. And that's when they came up with the living room. So let's give it up for the Lady Home Journal. Can we have it? Yeah. Now, when you think about a living room, what do you think about? And uh, I'll tell you what I, I, I think about on Sundays. It's one of the most glorious things ever. A nap. Can I have an amen? Yeah. Oh, praise God. Oh, yeah, okay. There's nothing like a Sunday afternoon nap. Now, when I think of a word that describes the living room, uh, it's the word comfort. I mean, isn't that what we really want? We want to go in that room and we want it to be comfortable. I love the definition of what comfort is all about because all of us need to know how important comfort is. It is a state of physical and mental ease. It's described as a freedom from pain and distress. Comfort is being at ease or having somebody that makes you feel secure, happy, or relaxed. Now, we've all experienced that. You may have a room that's comfortable, but don't you have friends that, in, whether you've seen them in years or not, you get in their presence, and within a minute or two, it's like nothing's changed, and you feel so comfortable. Don't you love those kind of friends? Now, we don't need to yell out names, but we also have other kind of friends, and you're going to meet them at Starbucks, and it, you're thinking to yourself, this is going to be drama. I know it's going to be drama. Anybody have a friend like that? Don't look at them. Okay. <laughs> but don't you love comfort? All of us, if we're deep down 
Uh, we love what comfort brings. That's why I want you to listen carefully to God's word. 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 3. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion, the God of all comfort. Don't you love that? Who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the suffering of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patience, endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope is for you, is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, also you share in our comfort. So let me tell you what's going on here. He's writing to this really troubled church in Corneth. And there's a couple things that are going on at the same time. One is it's this really troubled church, and they're experiencing suffering. So he wants them to experience comfort. But also there are critics, believe it or not, of Paul. And get this, they're accusing Paul of not being an apostle because he suffers too much. In other words, they're like, if you were truly an apostle, you would be protected. Evidently, they didn't know the rest of the story with all the other disciples, because if you know their stories, it didn't end well for any of the disciples. Sometimes people say, yeah, but John was not persecuted. He didn't die by being beheaded or hung upside down. Across. No, they boiled John in water, okay, or excuse me, in oil. And here's the deal. It ended so, many would say, tragically. So Paul's saying, listen, I have suffered, but here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that above all the suffering is there's comfort in Jesus Christ. The world will never give you that comfort. I suffer, you suffer, but we all have the same end run. We all know that Jesus is with us. Ten times of the 31 times we read that in the New Testament, the word comfort, it's right here in the text that I just shared. Maybe this morning some of you need that more than anything. You just need to experience God's comfort and God's peace. In fact, he goes on to say, when I'm weak, in other words, when I'm suffering, God's comfort brings about strength. So let's focus on that this morning. Here's the first thing you need to know about comfort. God comforts us. Just look at the first part of verse uh, 3. Praise be to God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, the Father and the God of all comfort. In Greek, that means come alongside with. Isn't that an awesome way to think about God's comfort? Right when we need him most, he comes right alongside us. And I love that about the presence of Jesus. I've got a book. You might want to, they're going to put it up here. I want you to jot this down. I was listening to a podcast, and her name is Rebecca Lyons, and she was talking about how anxious people are in the United States. It's, uh, Claudia had shared that the youngest generation now is considered the most anxious generation of all time, but we are living in the most anxious-driven time, period. It's not just the young folks that are dealing with this. It's all ages. The American Institute of Stress says that 77% of the population in the U.S. experience physical symptoms associated with the stress. 48% of those surveys said stress has a negative impact on their personal and professional life. 
33% said that they experienced extreme stress. Matter of fact, it's estimated through the healthcare costs that it's $300 billion annually businesses are paying because people not showing up for work. Why? Anxiety. And I can tell you, uh, I just think back this last year, so many meetings I've had with people, and they are just, they're at the end. Like, I, they're so um, stressed out, and they're anxious. And so if that's where you're at today, I just want you to know that that's what God's Word hopefully will reach out to you today. That God's Word will give you comfort, because we all desperately need it. I want, want to take a popular Christmas song, and I think we can change it a little bit. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I'll be honest, I say that mockingly. I used to, with the kids, you know, they're eating all the Christmas cookies and puking and all the, and the rides in the car, and you're like, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's a lie. I mean, but uh, imagine if it's, uh, we change it, it's the most wonderful time of the year of, it's the most he hectic, overscheduled, stressful, wait time, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Give Back Tuesday, Amazon, Starbucks, presents, parties, breathe, time of the year. I mean, think of how much we cram into this season. So if you're battling anxiety, does Christmas help? Not really. Some of you right now, again, are stressed out, not just because it's Christmas, but because going into this season, you're going through an anxious time. Here's what you feel like. And this is what I feel like when I'm going through anxious times. Maybe you can relate to it. It's a character that comes on every year around Christmas, the Grinch that stole Christmas. And so I want to tell you the story behind the movie. This is interesting. Jim Carrey, if you, if you haven't seen it, not going to lie, it's a little creepy, but Jim Carrey said um, it took eight hours to put the makeup and the fur on every day. Now imagine, he's a little ADD. Imagine Jim Carrey sitting in a chair for eight hours. And he said the very first day, he kicked a hole in the wall and he screamed, I'm out. Now they were paying him 50 million and he's still saying, I'm out. Okay, I'm out. And so here was their solution. And maybe some of you will want this number. They hired a consultant who worked with the CIA operatives on how to endure torture. <laughs> so they bring this expert in. They said, okay, this is what we do when people are this anxious You've got to change your routine. You've got to eat everything in sight. You, and he went through the social, and you've got to do that every day. You've got to keep mixing it up. And he said, it's terrible, but do you smoke? And Jim Carrey said, I will. He said, okay, you can smoke. Smoke all you want because you've got to get your mind up. Now, Jim Carrey said, imagine this. Here I am in this Grinch outfit, and they've got this device so it sticks way out so I can smoke so I don't catch the Grinch on fire, you know, and said the whole time I'm, I'm saying to myself, it's all for the kids. It's all for the kids. Now, here's when he described that anxious time. Here's what he felt like. He said, I felt like the walls were closing in and like somebody was burying me alive. And some of you know exactly that feeling. Like the walls are closing in. Like I can't breathe. And I can't connect my thoughts. I, I, I don't know about this address, and I forgot that number. And all of a sudden, things just kind of start fading out, and you wonder, what's going on? And we need to realize that anxiety is real. All of us desperately need the peace and the comfort of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, I want you to pause right now 
And I want you to answer this question in your mind. What in your life right now do you need God's comfort for? What is that? And then who in your life today needs God's comfort and God's peace? Listen to Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Did you look at those descriptions? He is mighty. And how is he mighty? How does Jesus demonstrate his might? He's a counselor. He's everlasting. And then what is he? Say it with me. The Prince of Peace. The peace that goes beyond understanding. It's the peace that we all desperately want. And when we experience that peace, here's what Paul said. Here's the amazing thing. That we can comfort others. When you experience that kind of peace, matter of fact, look at verse 4. What a summary. God comforts us so that we then will comfort others. That word comfort is such a powerful word. I mean, what do you think of when you hear the word comfort? Here's what I think of. Saturday morning, favorite pair of jeans. It's a hot cup of coffee on a really cold day. It's a good book on a rainy day. It's that friend that you talked for two hours and it felt like 10 minutes. Comfort. We all desperately want that comfort and that peace. And when we have it, and Jesus said, you are called peacemakers and we need it. I shared with you a few months ago, one of the things that Marie and I are real excited about is we want to just open up our home once a month to have a meal with our 20-somethings here at the church. And uh, when we started this few months ago, we just said, anything you want to talk about, that's what we'll talk about. So every month at the end of the meeting, we'll pray and we'll say, what do you want to talk about? And they'll say, okay, this is, this is it. And we haven't had an easy subject yet, okay? And so they, they did ask how to have a perfect marriage, and um, we're not going to teach that. So anyway, uh, that's, a, that's a lie. So anyway, the, the last month and this month, here's what we're going to get into. How, how do you know God's will when you're trying to make these tough life decisions? How do you determine God's will? Isn't that a great question? So as we got into that, uh, we talked about how important it was to continually stay in God's word, uh, to unleash God's spirit, to seek wise counsel, Proverbs 13.10. But there's a little business strategy that I've heard for years, and I simplified it. But I want to see if you don't go through the same process when you're trying to make a tough decision. And in business, it goes something like this. Form, storm, norm, perform. In other words, something begins to form. Uh, there's a decision you know you need to make. And we all know when that's coming, don't we? It's kind of like you know when you're getting sick, it's coming, and something's beginning to form. And then there's a storm. And that storm is not a fun season. It's you're crying out to God. You're talking to friends. You're digging in the Word. And sometimes you sense, God, where are you? And in that storm, there's a norm and then in business, they say, then you begin to perform. I simplified the whole process. I just need some things a little bit simpler. In my life, I can just tell you, this is how it usually comes down when I'm trying to make a really hard decision. It's three words. Form, storm, new norm. First of all, the form. It's exactly what I said. Something's on the horizon. You get anxious about it. You know you've got to make a decision. And you know there's a deadline 
and that's forming, and then there's this storm. Oh, my land, what are we going to do? And I'll tell you what, when ministers tell you that they don't go through this, uh, don't listen to them, because they go through this. Uh, And then the amazing thing is when you get through that storm, there's a new normal. And when you get to the new normal, only when you get to the new normal, you can look back and you think, how did I know when God was leading me and I'm making the right decision? You know what the answer is? This is going to sound too simple. Peace. There's a peace. This is a few years ago. Before Marie and I came back to Sherwood Oaks, there was actually a church before Sherwood Oaks. We reconnected, and this other church contacted us. And um, in church world, it's really weird. You go for an interview, and they have a board that talks you uh, through everything, and then... um, then they'll give you a, hey, we think, you're good. we think God's called you to be the minister, you know. And they said, oh, John, it's unanimous. Oh, we're so excited. And you've got to come. You're going to change everything. We, you're, the, you're the one, you know. And, man, I'm telling you, my head was just like, you know. And I'm like, uh, well, you know, I don't want to brag, but, yeah, you're right. You know, so anyway, I'm, that's until I got to the minivan. On the way home, uh, it, it was real quiet. And I said, hey, I, I think we're going to move here. And the kid said, Oh, Dad, that's great. We're not moving with you. But that's great if you want to move, you know. And Marie didn't say anything. Long ride home. And that week, I'm just going to be a hard week. I mean, a little yelling. Uh, There was some slamming doors. There was some go to your corners, don't talk. I mean, it was rough. And finally, one night, we were talking, and I said, "I I don't understand why you don't see that this is the right decision. And here's what Marie said, because I don't feel peace. Listen, we'll know. Right now, it's so stormy. But John, I don't feel peace. And she was absolutely right. I'd love to say I woke up the next morning with my God loves me, and I'm skipping. And I'm, oh, man, I was, I'm not, I was mad. Like, oh, I can't believe you don't feel peace, because I really do feel peace. You know, I mean, I was, you know, you know how that is? Now, you're fighting against God. I knew I was fighting against God. And I remember the peace that came over. It was like, you just hang in there. It's going to come together. Uh, And the comfort, it's pretty amazing when I look back. Now, again, there are different people that are going to give you different strategies. But I'm just telling you, in my life, that peace, you can't put a price on that peace. You can't put a price on that comfort. There's no way you can put a price on that. Only Jesus can give us that. And when we have that comfort, when we experience it at that level, what happens is God allows us then to comfort others. We don't even realize it, but we can help others that they're going through anxious time. I want to just close. and You just got to hang in there with me to walk through this. But this blew me away. So years ago in Germany, brilliant theologian by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who stood up against Hitler, stood up against the Nazis, and then was thrown in prison for that. Even had an underground sanctuary, or not a sanctuary, a seminary where he was training other ministers in the midst of all that persecution. And Bob Hoffer, he sat there in prison, and they allowed him to send some things out. And one of the things they allowed is for Bonhoeffer to send poems and letters to his fiancée, which he did on a regular basis. And then he realized, this was in 1943, he wasn't going to ever get out. 
Matter of fact, he knew he was going to be executed. In 1945, January, he wrote a famous poem. It's simply called New Year. And at the heart of that poem is basically he's reaching out to his fiancée saying, I have suffered so much, and what's helped me more than you know is your hand is with me here in prison. I know you're here. And he never realized uh, when he died a few months later that those poems actually became huge. They made it into Germany, and it just touched so many people's lives. And it had such an impact on his fiancée's life. But he was killed in 1945. Now fast forward 18 years across the Atlantic Ocean. And there's a young woman. And her fiancé died tragically in a sledding accident. And she's heartbroken. And she reads these poems from Bonhoeffer. And it gives her comfort. And then she takes, if you can imagine this, those book of poems... And she gave them to her fiancé's father, who was a writer. She said, this brought me great comfort. Maybe it'll comfort you, and it did. And this emptiness of losing your child, her losing her fiancé, here's that poem all these years later helping. Now, 12 years later, Joseph Bailey, the writer that wrote those poems, received a strange letter from a friend. And the friend said... Joe, I got to tell you this, I'm ministering in the Boston area, and there's a woman that I've been visiting, she's terminally ill, and the night before she died, she talked to me, and she said, this book has comforted me so much and given me hope, and it's by a man named Joe Bailey. He said, isn't that amazing? And then he said, oh, by the way, the woman that I'm talking about, her name is Marie Von Weedmeyer. That's Dietrich Bonhoeffer's fiance. You think about that. How does God do that? Well, he does it all the time. Think about a time in your life, God sent somebody into your life and you needed comfort and they were right there. And they had such an amazing impact on you. You can look back and say, that was 20 years ago. That was 30 years ago. And look what God has done. And he can do that with you. You never know that when you're the hands of Jesus and you're the voice of Jesus, there's there's that individual and all they need is the peace of Jesus and the comfort of Jesus. And guess what? You are Jesus at that moment. That's what his peace does. That's what his comfort does. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He brings us peace. Peace like no other comfort like no other. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.